Welcome to Markets Plus, where leading experts from across BMO discuss factors shaping the markets, economy, industry sectors, and much more. Visit bmocm.com slash markets plus for more episodes. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Today, we have a special episode from BMO's Views from the North podcast that recently aired. Views from the North features BMO's Canadian rate strategist, Ben Reitzis, who hosts roundtable discussions offering perspectives from strategy, sales, and trading on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. Today, Ben is joined by Chris D'Onofrio, a trader on BMO's Canadian Swap Trading Desk, to discuss the outlook for monetary policy after the recent Bank of Canada minutes, swap spreads, an update on the shift from CEDOR to Cora and his favorite trade ideas. Chris, welcome back to the show. I think it's your second appearance. Yeah, second time. Thanks for having me back. Happy Uh, to be here. It's also our 50th episode. Oh, congratulations, I guess. (laughs) Thank you for everyone out there who's still listening to me. Ramble on about all this uh, Canadian macro and, and rates talk. It's Wednesday at at 4.30, April 26th. We had the minutes, or what Canada calls the summary of policy deliberations. Can't just call the minutes. That'd be too simple. From the Bank of Canada this afternoon. They were out uh, earlier. And they kept the same tone as what we heard from the bank a few weeks ago. Just effectively that the bank considered raising rates at the last meeting. They chose not to. Patience is is the way to go for now. Uh, And I think it's pretty clear why. If if you really read through the whole thing, it, it seems quite evident that until there's there's a real reason that they'd have to push rates even higher. Uh, I think they're, they're more than happy to sit on the sidelines, but the tough talk continues. And, and I think that that's probably the bottom line. And, and uh, the market isn't really buying that. There's 35 basis points or so of rate cuts priced by the end of the year. We've had as much as 50 or more at some points. Uh, and, and then further cuts in 2024. Is that appropriate, Chris? Yeah, I mean... You jumped right into exactly what I wanted to talk about. The the imminence is the thing I have the problem with. So is there validity to having cuts priced in at some point in the next year? Probably. Or at least some probability mass assigned to that some point in the next year. Yeah, that's that's fair. But like you said, we the way the, the short, very, very ultra short end of the curve looks right now is like you've got about a half a cut in each meeting starting at September. And then as you go towards, you know, the beginning of 2024, you get into like a full cut per meeting, which is like, I mean, it's not impossible, but it doesn't seem very likely at this point. I mean, as you said, today just gave us more evidence of the same thing. It's, we are on hold. We considered raising, not considered cutting, considered raising. (laughs) And that still may happen, right? And probably not. Like, I agree with you that we're probably on hold for a very long time. But in no in no way, shape or form do you say we're considered cutting, we're concerned about a recession, blah, 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 etc. And I think a big reason as to why and we actually saw this flows wise with with some of the OIS uh, that some of the some of the American guys were trading was the reason that the curve kind of looks like that, I think, is just because of the U.S. People think, you know, the risk return on betting on cuts in Canada against, you know, or to converge with cuts in the U.S. is too good to pass on, basically. So, you know, we've gone from having no cuts to, as you said, almost two full cuts priced in purely because, you know, maybe something will blow up in the U.S. again and maybe the Fed will have to be cutting at the end of the year. But that's not a made-in-Canada Canadian problem, right? Just because a regional bank blows up in the U.S. doesn't mean, oh my gosh, all of a sudden we need to price in 25 or 50 or 75 or however many basis points of cuts in the next six months. That being said, 
and I agree for for the most part on its own. It, it, idiosyncratically, if Canada lived in its own world, then uh, I mean, cuts would probably be a, wa- a ways away. Though we are seeing signs of the of the, of the economy softening, so we'll, I mean, we'll see where things pan out over the next few months. But does it make any sense for meaningfully more cuts to be priced into the U.S. than Canada? And so we're, we're due next week to to hear from the Fed and. and they're likely to raise rates another 25 basis points, pushing policy rates above 5%, uh, while the bank stays on hold at 450. So Fed funds will be 58 basis points, give or take, above uh, overnight rates in Canada. Does it make any sense for Fed funds to be trading through Canadian rates in the middle of 2024, which would mean the bank would have to lag the Fed on rate cuts by... 75 basis points, give or take. Does that make any sense? Like, is that, is that a reasonable outcome? It's an outcome, whether it's reasonable, <laughs> whether it's reasonable or not, um, is, is another question. Do I think 75 is, is, is a serious number? No, probably not. At some point, maybe there may be a lag of, you know, there's a stretch of a couple of months there where we do reach that point in the, in a more steady state, like a year from now, I would think probably not. So, you know, if you're talking about the, the you know, one-year, one-year cross-market trade, which a lot of people are poking around on right now, then yes, I think that probably is the right trade. But I do think, you know, for at least a period of time, the U.S. has to big time lead the way, right? Like if this is a blow-up recession-induced cutting cycle in the U.S. that starts with the U.S., my thinking would be that gap gets a lot wider before it narrows back to something that we think is probably reasonable, and whether it's 25 basis points or 50 basis points or however, the disparity between Canada and the U.S. should be at some point next year into this hypothetical cutting cycle. But there was lots of talk, or a decent amount at least, of, of, of discussion by the bank in the minutes about the regional banking stress in the U.S. So, I mean, it is it is something they are very much concerned about. They're cognizant of as much as any stress generated by the U.S. or, or, or emanating from the U.S., I mean, could be the driver of, of any kind of downturn, uh, there, there's a knock-on effect on Canada. And I think that's undeniable. Yeah. And, and, and even if yeah. even if it takes some time to, to, to manifest itself, the bank will have a hard time ignoring it, especially if the Fed is cutting. If the bank holds policy, the Canadian dollar is going to go bananas strong, which I, I, I mean, as a tourist occasionally to the US, I'm totally okay with. I was in California last week. I would love for those bills to come down if that were to happen in the next couple of days, since I need to pay those pretty soon. But outside of that angle, I don't think the bank's going to want to see that much Canadian dollar strength at the end of the day, especially in a environment of the global economy likely weakening. And that that's exactly what they, they don't want to see, unless... Unless Canada, for some reason, is is somewhat immune to that, but I have I have trouble yeah. believing that. Yeah, and I, and and as I said, like I think, and it's not even a long term view; it's more of a medium term view. You're you're absolutely right, right? Like that bleeds into Canada no matter what. Like we are we are, we we don't exist in a vacuum. We are you know in many ways second to the U.S. and that's fine. But I just think the urgency with which this situation might unfold in the U.S. would lead to that gap. Okay. Widening so first, before, first order before move. it narrows. Yeah. First order move. Yeah. Whereas it, the market isn't really priced that way. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I, I could see that. That makes sense. And so um, those trades may not work on Immediately. that first order move. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but but okay. eventually, yes. Depends how deep your pockets yeah. are. And, I guess. In, in the meantime, you'll be well offside. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean that 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 does make some sense. So the other the other side of things is uh, it's the housing angle in Canada. There's a reasonable argument to be made that. 
the bank doesn't really want to push rates lower and, and, and strengthen housing at all. That's one area where, I mean, Canada is is more vulnerable and the longer rates can stay higher and, and continue to push froth out of that market, uh, the better off they are and, and really the financial system is. Uh, there's a little, little bit more stability there over time, I think, uh, if, if they can refrain from, from lighting a fire under housing again. Yeah, I don't know and if we, you need to buy a house, so maybe well, you have a yeah, different yeah, opinion. Yeah, but <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if that uh, June September steepener pays off by the end of the year, and maybe. But um, but no, that's that's actually a good something I'd, I'd like to to pick your brain on is like is because we haven't seen much of an impact in in the housing data as of as of yet. We've seen a bit of an impact, but it's not material enough to where it's it's bottoming. It's bottoming. So I I, I last two weeks ago was with or three weeks ago. Can't remember the date. timing anymore. Was uh, was used from the north was with with Rob Kafsik, and the numbers since then have have been pretty similar. That that it looks as though housing is bottoming. Mortgage rates have stopped going up. Mm-hmm. Five year rates are, are off the highs. But they're not well down, but they're off the highs. And and I think all you need is is almost a, just a little bit of confidence that rates aren't going to keep going up anymore. And then everybody was kind of waiting on the sidelines, unsure. Well. Is my mortgage rate going to keep going up? Do I want to pay that much more? I, I just need some certainty in my life. And it seems as though that's helped bring in some buyers. And at the same time, supply has been just non-existent. And so uh, really a lack of supply and buyers being a little bit more willing. I'm not going to say en masse at all because there's, there's still uh, sales are still pretty low, but prices have firmed up a little bit. Things look a little bit better. We may still get supply still may, may pick up and that may weigh on prices again. But for now, Right. Uh, things are tightening. We're right. not going to say they're they're going to stay that way per se, but uh, it looks as though we might be maybe at least kind of trudging along the bottom for housing. So right. prices, I'm not going to say they've hit the bottom, but it. I mean, it, it's it's certainly possible. They're and, not. Yeah, they're not at a cause for concern point as of yet. Oh, definitely not. If anything, <laughs> if anything, I I almost want them to fall a little bit further to be a little bit more comfortable with valuations. Yeah. They're they're they're, they're still relatively rich. You've only effectively worked off the froth. They're not we yeah. we're not cheap. Right. And and that's just cuz right. supply isn't there. And when right. supply is not supply and demand. So, no supply, prices stay high. It, yeah. it really is that simple. No force selling it. And I don't know what brings that around, but maybe Maybe the economy weakens enough, and you get some some unemployment, and and that drives a, a little bit of weakness in that market. We're we're not there yet. Job growth has remained pretty strong. Unemployment's still really low, but some small cracks. You can right. see, like January GDP was really strong. February we'll find out at the end of this week, but not quite as good. March very mixed. So like home sales were up in March, but mm-hmm. manufacturing was down. But Retail sales were down and wholesale trade was down, but manufacturing was up. Right. Uh, and so you, you have a, a really mixed bag on things. And so there, there's no clear direction yet on on the macro economy. But if if it were to crack, that's not going to be a good thing for housing. Then you get that no, supply course. come back and prices yeah. go back down and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. uh, we're, we're, we're not there. We'll see where, where we end up. But uh, I mean, all this stuff are factors that the bank needs to take into account when they're setting policy. And so something, I guess, something to think about when looking at the, those candidate U.S. deferentials for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Given the bank's kind of continued hawkish tone, at least, or, or whatever you want or to call it. firm tone, let's say. Firm yeah. tone, yeah. sure. <laughs> tough talk on, on rates and inflation. How soon do you think they can soften that? How soon can they 
start to sound a little bit more dovish? When can they back off at least a little bit to sound, I'd call it more neutral or more balanced two way to be in, in, instead of at the end of the statement and, and in the minutes telling us that they're they're considering raising rates, they're they're comfortably on hold or something along those lines. Yeah, I think um, an important consideration there is do they or do they not can care what the market thinks? Because I, I feel like pretty soon after they start making that transition to not necessarily a pivot to cutting, but to, okay, we're done. Like, we're, we're good to go. Like, things look good. The market will probably just, you know, blast off and price in another 75 basis points of cuts and everything else, right? So, you know, if that is a consideration, I would say that they probably need to, to wait till, you know, something more like Q3 of this year to get to the point. I mean, of course, to your point earlier, unless, you know, the cracks tend to widen and, and something goes wrong to take that stance and to say, you know, back off a little bit, um, you know, not walking it back, but, you know, we don't need to tap the market on the nose every time it gets ahead of itself here. You know, if, if that's not a concern, it could be, you know, maybe not the next meeting, but probably as soon as July, I would say, if, if things remain the way they are, like, I don't, I don't see a reason for them to not say, okay, well, look at our history over the last three meetings, we've been on hold, we, you know, maybe the first two of them considered raising rates, but last time didn't even consider it. Because, you know, growth is slowing the way we intended it to slow, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the U.S. remains a concern. We don't want an incredibly strong dollar, all the main arguments that you pointed out before. So, and I really don't know what the answer to that question is. Do they or do they not care whether the market, whether the market uh, gets ahead of itself or not? But I think those are kind of the two, the two scenarios in which I, I see uh, them approaching that. I'm not sure I know the answer to that either. I mean, there, there are, it, I guess it depends on what it, what, what mortgage rates do. I think that that's yeah. where they, they start to care. And if, if five-year yields start to dip enough yeah, that's and, a good and point. credit yeah, spreads tight enough point. and that drives mortgage yields down, mortgage mortgage rates down, then they start to get concerned. But otherwise, if the market prices cuts, I don't think they're a huge fan of the market going on its own way, but they tend not to push back too hard. And yeah. I, I like that July timing. I We'll know where inflation is by then. We'll be at that maybe 3% mark by then that the bank's uh, forecasting. And, yeah. and we, we have, we're, we're close. We, we don't have inflation continuing to fall through the second half of the year. It's kind of just stuck around 3%. Mm-hmm. But we'll be at that 3% mark. And, and that's as hard as it might be to go from 3 to 2. 3 is a lot closer to 2 than yeah. where we are today. 3 is better uh, than 6. 3 is better than 6. <laughs> it's better than 5. It's better than 4. Uh, and, and, and directionally, it, it's it's probably uh, at least where they want to be going. And the economy will, will, will likely be softer by then. Uh, and and we, won't, we won't really have a great idea of, of if the economy softened enough, I think until that meeting, like June is, is too close. Uh, so it's still, still, still a ways to go on that front. Uh, let's change gears a little bit here and, and talk about stuff that you know better than I do. Sure. That's why I brought you here. Sure. Uh, swap spreads. Yeah, where that curve has been all messed up the last <laughs> the last couple of weeks for sure. Where are the opportunities there, and and why is the curve the way that it is? Well, there's a couple of things. So, over the last few months, we've seen a shift in the kind of domestic real money flow crowd to where you know most of the people that matter uh, in our market have been paying the front end, paying twos, paying threes, possibly paying fours. Um, against things further out, um, which has been a shift because, you know, most of last year that flow was dominated by pretty much receiving fives and sixes and sevens, and that was pretty much all they did. So 
that's kind of distorted the curve a bit. Mind you, as I speak today, it started to correct a little bit today and yesterday, but that's distorted the curve over the last couple of months to the point where twos and threes are very, very stretched compared to where they were and compared to the rest of the curve. And I think this is pretty evident if you look at the curve in forward space. I mean, you and I have talked about this trade before, but if you look at kind of the one-year gaps going beyond one-year, one-year, so if you look at two-year, one-year versus three-year, one-year, and that's, you know, in spot starting terms, basically twos, threes, fours. But if you look at that um, over the last couple of weeks, it's it's been crazy inverted to the point where it's, you know, 30 basis points inverted, 35 basis points inverted. I think it got to 40 basis points inverted recently, which, you know, if you believe that we're at the end of a at the end of a hiking cycle and at the beginning, well, maybe not for six months or 12 months, but going into a, a cutting cycle, then, you know, that curve should be entirely closer to flat than it is at the moment. So, I mean, you know, is that a reflection of the macroeconomics people are pricing into the Canadian swap curve? No, probably not. It's a reflection of, you know, where twos and threes and fours have been trading just because of this idiosyncratic flow. But it's, I think, an opportunity and and remains an opportunity today, although it's corrected a little bit. Um, and that's something that we've seen people start to express as well, whether it's in the form of twos, threes, fives, or two, three, four, or two, one, three, one, two, one, three, two, all that fun stuff. Why is that flow going to subside? So if mortgage rates, so the mortgage rate curve is upward sloping, mm-hmm. people expect rates to fall over the coming years, including Main Street thinks rates will not stay up here for a long period of time. Why are people going to stop taking out one, two, three-year mortgages and start taking out five-year mortgages? Because that, that's what drives a lot of that pay flow is, is yeah. where, where those mortgages are originated. And I, near term for the next six months for sure, uh, or at the until the bank really changes its its tone, and even then, I suspect that it'll be longer than that. Why is that flow going to subside? It just doesn't 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 make a lot of sense. No, me. no, no. So yeah, I, I agree with you on that front. I don't think the flow subsides. I think it remains. I what I think happens is you know people who have some view in Canada, whether it's they want to steep in twos fives, for example, instead of twos fives, maybe they do it in threes fives, or maybe they do it in two year one year versus three year two year or something and they express it that way just because you get a kicker from you know well these spreads are pretty rich versus these spreads and so when i express this in swap space i get the added advantage of pushing the market back into place with the way i'm expressing my view i think yeah you absolutely have a point like there's there's looking at mortgage rates today i don't think uh, five-year fixed is inverted nearly enough to five-year variable for people to start doing that i don't think the natural flow will switch anytime soon but i think you know if this becomes more of the norm, I think people will understand that and people will realize where the spread curve ought to be, including, you know, those people who maybe have this flow and are hedging it as well and may choose to receive the four-year point instead of the three-year point, for instance, just because that spread switch has gotten so out of control or whatever. Um, and I think that's that's how kind of this normalizes. I don't think it's a more, like I said, I don't think it's a more of a reflection of the macroeconomics of where mortgages okay. in Canada are going. I think it's more of people needing to take advantage of this, this, um, that's mispricing. the best point on the, that, that's the best way to express a steepener. For yeah. Example. Yeah. That's, okay. yeah. That makes that's, sense. that's how I think about it now. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this is a good, good, good segue, I think for you to give us an update on the transition or how it's going or where we are, uh, and the transition from Cedar to Cora because I think we're well on our way at this point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's been, it's been what, four months now? More than four months, just over four months. Yeah, it, it, it was a bit of a slow start, but I will say, I mean, as I, as I, was, as I was saying, I think last time that uh, you had me on the, on the show here, it's been better than what I saw unfold in the LIBOR to SOFR transition. Canada has 
maybe taken a lesson or two from the U.S. And, and it's been quicker. I mean, it's been four months and we've seen a lot in the last, especially in the last month, a lot of the real money community, whether it's domestic or foreign, switch to maybe not completely Cora risk, but at least most of the new risk, if they can do it in Cora, they will do it in Cora. And in the interbank, I would say, you know, it's it's not 100%, but it's probably something like, you know, 70% of the prices out there and 70% of the stuff that's going through is in spreads and in rates and in flies, et cetera, is going to be Cora based. And I think that's great. I mean, like, that's what regulators want. That's what the banks want. And that's what hopefully the clients want. And I think people are starting to realize that the liquidity is definitively better now and going to remain better on the core side of things than it is on the CDOR side of things. I think it's worth highlighting that uh, the Bank Canada, put a, they put out a, a weekly update on this transition. Uh, and, and over half of uh, trades on, on a DV1 basis were, were in Cora versus CDOR over the past couple of weeks. So that is clearly the trend. I think yeah. it's still a challenge on the future side of things. Backs are still dominant versus the core futures, but but it's slowly building. Open interest is building on the core side and then pulling back a bit on the back side. So we'll, we will get there, but there there's definitely progress there. So anybody out there who uh, dabbles in these markets, I think the, you got to look at core now. And then that, that's yeah. especially for anything new, you, that, that that's how you want to play this. And uh, I mean, fundamentally, it's, it's no different. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, the time is becoming very, very ripe for for uh, portfolio transitions as well, right? Like even if, like you said, people are doing all their new risk in Cora, they might have a bunch of legacy Acedor risk. And and now is the time where we're starting to see a lot of big O1 go through of like, okay, we have this portfolio that we've had for the past 10 years. There's a bunch of Cedor in it. You know, we need to put through 500K or a million in O1 of Cedor OAS basis to transition our whole portfolio. Let's get it done now. And I think now is becoming the best time. This is where we're seeing big, big O1s in the interbank cross in that basis. And it's trading at, you know, for by Canadian standards, a relatively liquid bid offer. So I think it's 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 pretty good. So for, for folks out there wondering when the time is to transition their portfolio, I think it's it's upon us over the next couple of months here. The best part about your statement was by Canadian standards. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You gotta give a caveat. All right, let's uh let's wrap things up. What 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 are your two favorite trade ideas because I know you have two because one of them is going to have to be OAS and one of them is going to be yeah, I think, yeah, I think yeah, the cross definitely. market I mean, I mean yeah so I think in the just kind of repeating I guess myself a little bit here in the in the very front end of the curve in OAS space I think I think the very beginning of the cuts is worth fading right now so there's about a 50% chance of a cut priced into September meeting which I think is very much too early so you know, whether it's July, September, July, October, something like that, steepening that meeting switch is, is I think, a pretty good risk return at this point. And that will trade uh, naturally short. And given how much we've rallied recently, I think that's probably a good thing. Further out on the curve, uh, we've already talked about two-year, one-year, three-year, one-year. That's also a pretty high risk return right now, cross-market. I think in the U.S. it's about flat. So if you think Canada will steepen at all whatsoever or the spread curve will normalize, you can pick up, you know, 10 to 20 to however many basis points for those things to converge. I think the long run average over the last two years has been something like 12 basis points. Canada is inverted to the U.S. So that's a pretty good one. My third trade that I think is more of a longer term trade is is the one that you talked about, the, the uh, kind of one year versus one year, one year cross market. I, I don't know when the time to put that on is. I don't know if it's now. I, like I said, I think it probably gets a little more exacerbated before it gets better. But I think, you know, if you've got deep pockets in a long term view, I think that's probably the the right trade to do. All right, cool. Well, thank you for, for coming on to episode number 50. And, and thanks to all our listeners out there. And uh, 
hope you tune in again soon and, and thanks for coming in chris yeah thanks again for having me thanks for listening you can follow this podcast on apple podcasts spotify or your favorite podcast app for more episodes visit bmocm.com slash markets plus this podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Inc., and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options or any other activity, which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests, and you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets, insecurities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For full legal disclosure, please visit bmocm.com legal. To access our full disclosures for equity research reports, please visit researchglobal0.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure slash.